Mass creates all kind of problems. I can't get my mic right now. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, the reason that I'm wearing that is because last Monday, uh, our son Nick was tested positive. On a, he went back to college for basketball and tested positive and then had to come back home. And uh, so he's, he'd been quarantining in our house and we've been staying away from him. But uh, according to CDC protocols, uh, we need to wear a mask when we're around people for these mass couple, next couple of days. Um, and so that's what we're doing and uh, want to be as cautious as we can and protect anyone else from any, anything we might be carrying, uh, though we've been fine the whole week and uh, he's doing well and actually returned back to school. Uh, according to the rules, they, they brought him back. So anyway, um, thank you for your prayers for us. And, uh, and it is, it is a, a time because everyone's with family and everything over the holidays. seems there are more people who are, who are uh, getting this, uh, this variant, which doesn't seem to be too difficult to deal with, but, um, but nobody wants to be sick, so especially during the holidays. So. Well, let me pray. And then we'll get into God's Word together. <clears throat> Father, thank You for Your Word. For the truth that You speak into our lives through it. That is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that takes that word and ministers it deep within our hearts. We thank you for prayer and your invitation to us to come. We have the assurance of knowing because we're in Christ that we have a hearing at the throne of God. We ask today that you would teach us, remind us of the truth, and invite us to a deeper walk with Christ. Help me to communicate clearly what you have laid on my heart and the truth of your word. And I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. There's a story that's told about an elderly couple and they've transitioned from their home into a nursing facility. Though they're still able to stay in the same room, they're in a nursing home. And, and uh, they've been married about 60 years. And their relationship has been just fraught with arguments, disagreements, and bickering constantly. And this didn't stop when they were in the nursing home. I mean, from sunup to sundown, they were arguing, they were bickering, they were at each other constantly to the point where the people in the nursing home came to them and said, if you guys don't change, we're going to have to kick you out of here. And they, even at that, they weren't sure what they were going to do. And so finally the wife says to her husband, I've got an idea. She said, let's pray. Let's both pray that one of us dies. And then after the funeral, I'll go live with my sister. <laughs> you know, if we're not careful, we can relegate prayer to a means of getting our will accomplished on earth. When in reality, prayer is God's means of getting His will accomplished here on earth. And it may not always line up 
with ours. As we begin a new year and embark on this journey called 2022, I thought it would be important for us to remind ourselves of the importance of prayer. Uh, the, the fact that God has invited us to come to Him. And that when we come to Him, we can lay our concerns at His feet and He hears that. And He cares about that. And He helps us in whatever our need is. And so I want to draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. And in this, in, in the beginning part of Hebrews, the writer reminds us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's divine nature. In other words, He is God here in the flesh. And He is superior to the angelic beings. And He is superior to Moses, the lawgiver. He speaks about this reality that Jesus as our high priest has taken on flesh and bone, flesh and blood. And He's identified with us and He has become the mediator between us and God. And just prior to the passage that we're going to look at this morning, He talks about how the Word of God is able to divide. It's like a, a two-edged sword able to divide between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and it's even able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And then he says, and all creatures are laid open, laid bare before his eyes. There's nothing God does not know about us. His word is able to to get into our life if we're willing to listen to it, willing to read it and let it speak to us, it is able to, to judge our heart, judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So we are laid open before Him. And then He says these words in verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We, because of who we are coming to, we can come into His presence with confidence. What does that mean? Well, the word confidence means freedom or frankness in speaking. Freely saying everything that you are thinking. Now, that's not always a good idea when you're talking with other people. And sometimes uh, people need to remember that. But when we come before God, we can lay out our concerns, our thoughts, because what? God already knows them. We're, our heart, our life is laid open before Him. There's nothing hidden from Him. 
And so he's saying, let us come with confidence, with a freedom, an openness, and an honesty to speak to the Lord. We're not talking about an irreverence. We're talking about honesty. Openness before God. To come to Him and lay whatever is on our heart before Him. This is how Paul asked to us or the Ephesians to pray for him in Ephesians 6 as he's wanting to proclaim the gospel boldly, clearly, openly, and effectively. He says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the, with boldness the mystery of the gospel. I want to speak openly with freedom. And clearly make known the gospel. And he says, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He wants to be, have the freedom to say what he has to say before the people that they might hear clearly the gospel. The same word. And, and so the invitation is that we come before God's throne with that same level of freedom, openness, and honesty before God. There's nothing we cannot talk to God about. And there are two reasons given to us in this passage for why we can have this confidence. The first is we can have confidence because of who occupies the throne. Who's sitting there? Who is it that we are approaching? You see, Jesus is our great high priest. We have a great high priest, he says in verse 14, who has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, a priest, a high priest, would pass through, <coughs> excuse me, would pass through uh, the veil from the holy place to the holy of holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to make intercession or to make atonement for the people of the nation of Israel. One day each year, a special day. And before he could do that, he had to make atonement for himself. He had to, to make a sacrifice for his own sins to purify himself so that he then could go in and make atonement for the people into the very holy place in God's presence. Once a year, he could pass through the veil. Well, Jesus is our sacrifice. His sacrifice was once for all it accomplished it forever. He doesn't have to keep going back over and over again. And he as our high priest has now passed through the heavens. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he's praying for us. Continually. That's our great high priest. He has passed through the heavens. He didn't pass through a veil here on earth. In fact, when he died, what happened to the veil? Ripped in two. As a, as a symbol that access to God has been granted now because of Jesus. And he has passed through the heavens. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is speaking to God the Father on our behalf. Interceding for us, according to Romans 8. Praying for us continually. That's our great high priest. It also tells us in verse 15 that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. To sympathize means, it's a compound word meaning to suffer with. 
Not only does he understand what you're going through, but he is feeling it. He is suffering with you in that. Is what that means. To sympathize. To feel what you're feeling. Kenneth Weiss, the, the Greek scholar who taught at Moody, writes this, the infirmities here uh, are not sufferings but weaknesses, moral and physical, that predispose one to sin. The weaknesses which undermine our resistance to temptation and make it difficult for us to keep from sinning. This is what this is talking about. He sympathizes with the weaknesses that you and I have, those propensities we have toward sin, toward giving in to temptation. He sympathizes with us. John MacArthur writes this to help us understand. He talks about how, you know, when you get uh, an injury of some kind, and it's a bad injury to your body, your body goes into shock, and you no longer feel that pain. And he says that, that uh, what we do with temptation is that when temptation is really great, we oftentimes give in to it, and then so the temptation is no longer... A temptation because we've given in to the temptation and sin. And so it's no longer a pressure on us. Well, that's not so with Jesus. He says there is a degree of temptation that we may never experience simply because no matter what our spirituality, we will succumb before we reach it. But Jesus Christ had no such limitation. Since he was sinless, he took the full extent of all that Satan could throw at him. He had no shock system, no weakness uh, limit. No, he, to turn off temptation at a certain point, since he never succumbed, he experienced every temptation to the maximum. And he experienced it as a man, as a human being. In every way he was tempted as we are, and more so. The only difference was that he never sinned. Therefore, we can come to Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus Christ, we can remember that he knows everything we know and so much more about temptation, testing, and pain. He can sympathize with what you're going through, with what seems to be eating your lunch, taking you down, what you continue to battle with and struggle with continually. He sympathizes with you in that. What is our tendency? Our tendency is to think he's looking and saying, would you get over it already? Would you stop doing that? Uh, I, I'm sick and tired of you getting involved in these things and, and having this struggle. That's what we think our Father in Heaven is, is saying. But that's not what the Scripture tells us. He, Jesus sympathizes with us in this. We're also told in, uh, in, in an earlier passage in Hebrews chapter 2 that He can aid us when we are tempted. He comes to our aid. Go back to chapter 2. Let me start with verse 14 to kind of get us in the context here. He says, since then, chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 14, since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He took on flesh and blood to be like us, and he rendered powerless him who had the power of death. And verse 8, 15, And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He has released us from the fear 
of having to die because we are, we are in Christ. And then he says in verse 16, for assuredly he does not give help to angels. Why? Because he didn't become an angel and die for the angels. He became a man to die for humanity. Um, but he does give help to the descendants of Abraham, all, the, all of us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then verse 18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Rather than looking at us with repulsion, when we are in the midst of our weakness and our struggle and our battle, He comes to our aid. He sympathizes. He is able to help. So He not only understands and sympathizes, but He has the power and the capability to help us when we are struggling. So why wouldn't we go to Him with it? At the end of verse 14, he gives us a, an important truth to hold on to. He says, let us hold fast our confession. Since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, who can sympathize with our weaknesses and who can aid us in our difficulty, let's hold fast our confession. What does that mean? To hold fast means to grab hold of and not let go, right? It means to lay hold of to maintain, to retain it. And what is the confession? It's a profession. It's a truth. It's a recognition of something. It's agreeing with God about the truth. The confession here is who Jesus Christ is, the very Son of God, our Redeemer, and our help. We need to believe that. That means what it means to lay hold of it. See, quoting a verse... Isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean we believe it. I can quote verse 16 from memory, but that doesn't mean that I always come with confidence between the throne of grace to find mercy and receive grace to help in time of need. I can say it, but it doesn't mean I believe it because if I believed it, I would do it. It doesn't mean memorizing isn't important. It is because it hides the Word in our heart. But we've got to take that Word then in our heart and we've got to live out that truth in obedience. So he says, hold fast to our confession that Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one who sympathizes. He is the one who can help us and aid us. He is the one I can come to. There are two problem attitudes that tend to pervade believers. One is a defeatist attitude when it comes to prayer. And that has no confidence at all in approaching God that He will hear and answer our prayers. There are many people in the church throughout this world who are walking around with a defeatist attitude. Well, God doesn't really care about what I'm going through. God isn't there to help me in my struggle. So we don't come. Or a triumphalist attitude that kind of takes this attitude that God owes me something. And so every time I come to Him, if I say it the right way, or if I say it strongly enough, then He'll give me what I'm asking for. 
Remember, it's not about us getting our will accomplished. It's about His will being accomplished. But we know from the Word of God, His will is that you overcome temptation. And so it always is His will that you will not give in. That doesn't mean that it's not His will that you struggle. The very thing that the enemy wants to use to tempt you to sin may be the very thing God is wanting to use to test your faith and to give you strength and to make you strong. So it's not that God necessarily is will to get you out of the problem as much as it is to give you the strength in the problem. But if we hold fast to our confession and we come to Him, our great high priest, we come with confidence because we know who it is that's on that throne. Maybe one of the things that, that we need to do this year is, is to ask God to give us a more biblical concept of who He is. So that we don't believe lies about our, our God thinking that He's, He's there angry at us all the time because, because we struggle. We read verses like this and we remind ourselves this is who our God is. Our great high priest. He's sympathizing with us. He's giving us strength and giving us aid if we'll come to Him. Second reason we can have this confidence is because of what characterizes the throne. Who occupies it and who what characterizes it? What kind of throne is it? Verse 16. It's a throne of grace. The throne reflects the character of the one who sits on it. God is a God of grace. And the throne that we come to, the throne of God, is a throne of grace. You remember the story of Esther? When... Uh, when the, the decree went out to, that, that all the Jews were to be destroyed on a certain day, right, later in the year. And her cousin Mordecai sends a message to Esther, the queen, and says, you need to go in and talk to the king about this. You need to intercede for us. And she was afraid to do so. Why? Because she said, everyone in the kingdom knows the king has but one rule. When anyone enters into his throne room unsummoned, they will die unless he extends the golden scepter. And she said, I haven't been summoned for this whole month. So what happened? Well, they fasted and, 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 and prayed for three days. And then she went in. And the king extended the scepter. The king chose to be gracious and extend the scepter. She wasn't invited, but she was extended the grace. Here's the truth about the throne of God. First of all, if you know Christ as your Savior in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the invitation is always there to come. And secondly, the, 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 the scepter is always extended. So You have no fear to approach the God of the universe because the invitation is always there because it's a throne of grace. I want to read to you David's description of God from Psalm 103. Listen to this. 
And as you, as you hear this, I'm, I'm going to read it slowly because I want you to think about each of these, these terms and these descriptions as it pertains to you. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That description is used multiple times throughout the Old Testament of God. God says that about Himself. That's what He wants you to know about Him. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Next verse. He will not only strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. How high are the heavens above us? That's how great His loving kindness is. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. <clears throat> he is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field he flourishes. And when the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But... The loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. Our life is a vapor here today, gone tomorrow, but the, the loving kindness of God is everlasting to everlasting. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and who remember His precepts to do them. That's God. It is a throne of grace because our God is a God of grace. And so we must draw near to receive help. See, sometimes we think, well, God already knows everything. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what I need. He knows what He wants to do here. So I'll just trust that. Scripture tells us that we need to come to Him. We need to draw near to the throne. And we need to lay our concerns openly and honestly before Him if we're going to receive mercy and grace to help. Why? If He already knows, why do we come? Because it's an act of faith. Faith is action. When we do not come... We can fool ourselves into believing we trust God. But if we don't take the time and the energy to come before Him, we are saying, I don't really believe that. Or there are more important things to do with my time and energy than to talk to God about this. We must draw near in order to receive the help. So prayer 
taking the time to talk to God is absolutely essential for our well-being in our journey in this life. Because we always are going to have weaknesses and struggles. We always need mercy and grace. And so we've got to come to Him. To draw near means to come to, to approach, to go to a location. So we approach His throne in prayer. That, that word that, is a purpose statement. It means in order that, for the purpose of receiving mercy. Mercy has been defined as not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. What we deserve is punishment. So mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. What we don't deserve is perfect righteousness and a place in heaven. We get all this because of mercy and grace. You might look at mercy as alleviating some of the consequences of sin in this world, physical consequences. Maybe it's your own sin. Maybe it's the sin of somebody else whose sin has now impacted your life because of your relationship with them, because of the context in your relationship with them. Their actions have impacted you and have caused problems for you, and you need help from God. We can come to God. And lay before Him openly and honestly our concerns, our struggles, our need. Maybe it's a spiritual issue. We know that God has removed the spiritual consequences of our sin through Christ. We no longer fear that. Maybe it's spiritual issues in someone else's life that we're concerned about. A child, a loved one, a spouse a grandchild, a, a co-worker, somebody who, who needs God's grace in their life. Grace is also a power in that it empowers us to live above sin. And this is what when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, and he prays that God would remove this thorn in his flesh. <coughs> the Scripture says he prayed three times that it might depart from him. And the idea there is three being the, the perfect number probably a reference to the fact that he continually prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would remove this, whatever the thorn in the flesh was, God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. He said to Paul, I'm not going to remove this thing, this weakness in your life, but instead I'm going to give you the grace to overcome it, to live with it. And so Paul's response was, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. When I'm weak, then I am strong. Many of us are ready to say that. We want the weakness removed. 
And God says, I may want the weakness to remain so that you continue to have to depend on me for my grace and my power is then perfected in your weakness. And Paul says, if that's the case, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Most of us want to keep our weaknesses hidden up. We want people to see them. I love what he says at the end there. To help when? In time of need. The word that's used there means well-timed. At the right time. According to the need and God's purpose in meeting that need. That's when the help comes. According to the need and according to God's purpose in meeting that need. Another person put it this way. It's support when necessary as necessary, and in due proportion to the necessity. In other words, God's help is always right on time. We don't always think that. We're kind of like Mary and Martha when they were at the grave of their brother Lazarus. Jesus shows up four days after he died. They sent a message to him before he died. You're the one you love is sick, expecting he's going to come and heal him. He didn't come. In fact, the Scripture says he waited two more days and then he left to go. And it took him all that time to get there. Four days after Lazarus dead, what did Mary and Martha both say when they saw Jesus? Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. If you would have come when you should have come, this would not have happened. And Jesus said, I am the power. I am the resurrection of life. You believe this much. In other words, you trust me. We're like that, aren't we? We want God to show up when we want Him to show up and to do what we want Him to do. And God may be saying, I have something else to do in this and I'm going to show up when it's the right time according to my sovereign understanding of this. There are some people who have stopped going to God with their problems, their concerns, their needs because they feel that God has disappointed them because God didn't show up when they thought He should in the way they thought He should. So they said, well, then I'm not going to talk to God about it. Faith is believing God His Word, not believing God based upon how I feel. God's Word says, that when we come to Him, to that throne of grace with confidence, with that openness and that honesty, we receive mercy and grace to help us at the right time. Do we believe that? Do we believe it enough to do it? To trust Him with these things? The fact of the matter is we all have needs. We all have areas where we need mercy and we need grace. Maybe it's in our own life. Maybe it's in the life of somebody else that we care about deeply. But we need to come to that throne. And we lay that concern at His feet. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do this together as we conclude our time. I'm going to ask you, do you have a need? Is there something that you're thinking about right now that you're saying, man, I really need that kind of mercy and that kind of grace? 
Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for somebody else, a, a loved one. Maybe the need is <clears throat> physically, financially, emotionally, relationally. Maybe it's somebody else, somebody you care about, somebody that is going through some really hard things right now. Maybe it's because their own choices, maybe it's the choices of somebody else that whose, whose consequences are now impacting their life. Maybe it's a spiritual issue. Maybe you have a child that's not walking with the Lord. Maybe they've strayed, right? Maybe they don't know the Lord at all and they need to come to Christ. Maybe it's a coworker that you care about. Maybe it's a spouse that doesn't seem to have any concern whatsoever about the things of God. They would claim to be a believer, but there's no interest in growing. And you're very concerned about that. What is the need that you are feeling right now? I want to pray for you. I want to ask us to pray for each other in this. And so what I want to do is if you are sensing that, as you're thinking, sitting here thinking, yes, I, I can clearly identify that need. It's been on my heart for some time. I can't, I can't it, it, it just isn't getting better. It's, it's something that I need this. I'm going to ask you in a moment if you would be willing to stand as the representative of that need. And the reason that I will do that is because Scripture says, just the verse before this, all things are laid open before God. Right? It's all, he sees it all. I'm not going to ask you to tell us what it is. But to bring it in the light. Because when we bring it out in the light, the enemy doesn't have power over us anymore. And to, and to, to represent that need, and you're the only one that knows what that need is. It may be your need, it may be someone you care about, but that need. I'm going to ask you to stand, and, and even if you're online, if you're willing to do this, to stand. It may be awkward where you are, but as a way of saying, I'm, I'm physically standing to represent before God this need. And when we do that, I'm going to ask the other people around you to pray quietly for that person. You don't even know what the need is. You don't need to know. God knows. But to pray for that. That God would give His grace and His mercy to meet that need. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. So let's, let's do that. If you're willing to stand in representation of that need, I'm going to ask the people around you if you would pray for you. Pray for those needs. Oh, Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that you see into our very hearts and our minds. You know what the need that is being represented today for those who are standing, what that need is. You know that person who needs a 
fresh touch of the grace of God. You know that person who is, who is walking a road of destruction and they are leaving a wake behind them of people, hurt relationships, of, of people who, who are burdened tremendously for them. And God, you know what it's going to take to get them back. And we ask you to do whatever it takes in that person's life. to Turn them back to you in repentance. To come back to the Lord. We pray for those who, who are living outside of an understanding at all about the grace of God. They don't know about Jesus and what He's done for them. At least they don't know it in a real way. And Father, I pray that they would have hearts to be open and that God, maybe someone here today would be able to share the gospel with them. Maybe it's a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. Lord, you know what that need is. You know what the financial need may be that's represented in this. God, would you meet that? Lord, there's, there's nothing that is impossible for you. You know what the physical need is. Maybe it's health issues. Or maybe it's a relationship that is broken right now that needs to be mended. Or maybe it's grief that is overwhelming. And you're able to come to the aid of those who are hurting. God, you know that all the needs, and so we ask that you would do a mighty work. That you would help us in our unbelief to trust you to meet the need in your time and in your way. Lord, we give thanks by faith today that you hear us and that you are going to do a work here. As we faithfully laid this before you, as we will continue to do so. Lord, we thank you for the, the answers that have already come and the things that we have laid before you in these past weeks, months, and years where you have already shown up in a powerful way and have done a mighty work and continue that work. Lord, today, we want to thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Would the rest of you please stand?